Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, the personal finance blogger right here in New Zealand. And in this podcast, I chat to a pretty diverse bunch of people. I learn their story and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, tips and point of view on personal finance right here in New Zealand. On my blog, I have a section where people who have a net worth of $1 million or more can fill out a quick anonymous questionnaire and share with my audience how they did it. The point of it is twofold. I want to show the multitude of ways people grow their wealth and it's also the opportunity for people, often for the very first time, to actually share out loud that their hard work and determination has paid off and they've tipped over a dollar amount that has always had a pretty good ring about it, one million bucks. And although that amount doesn't hold quite as much significance as it did in the past, well, still, no one gets there by accident. And it was via my questionnaire that I discovered Aria and her husband Dave, who are both in their mid-40s. Now, these are not their real names. They wanted to keep themselves anonymous, which is absolutely fine. But Aria is a lovely name and she was a lovely person. And I've chosen Dave because her husband is a builder. And I already know about five builders called Dave. And they're all good blokes too. Now, these guys have two boys. One is aged 18, who's working part-time while studying at Polytech and a 14-year-old who actually sat in on our phone conversation because he has a keen interest in learning about personal finance. So that was music to my ears, I can tell you. But before I get into it today, I just have a quick message about Pocketsmith, the awesome company who have yet again kindly sponsored this podcast. I'd been a user of Pocketsmith for a few years before the global pandemic reached our shores. It was the first place I went to check the financial health of our family when it arrived here and created chaos. Pocketsmith really came into its own during that time because it was the one place we could go to see our complete financial situation laid out in front of us in a single screen. With job uncertainty on the horizon, Pocketsmith's colour-coded pinwheel showed me at a glance where our family could instantly cut all unnecessary spending and a 10-minute family meeting united us to reduce costs, protect our money and have a sense of control in what were uncertain times. So take it from me, whether you're a household of one or many, Pocketsmith will help you thrive, not just survive, financially. If you want financial clarity with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Both Aria and Dave were born in New Zealand and they grew up in Auckland. Aria was raised by her mum who spent the first 10 years of Aria's life being supported by the DPB or the Domestic Purposes Benefit before getting a job. They rented in Auckland and by the time she left home at 19, they had lived in 14 different rental houses, which makes for quite a disrupted upbringing. Aria told me that Dave had a similar upbringing to her and although neither of them lived with their fathers, Their dads were very much in their lives, something she said is not always the case for many others. Her memories of money while growing up were of her mum being very chaotic and stressed out about money. She said of her mum that the best way to describe her was that she just can't adult. There were always tears and yelling as her bills stacked up, and when the stress of the bills and the yelling just got too much, Aria used to head to the park to get away from it all until things cooled down and it was okay to return home. Aria said her mum used to do a lot of things that as a kid Aria would find very embarrassing, but in hindsight her mum was just actually being resourceful. She remembers they might have run out of food but had plenty of the vegetable called choco on hand, so they would literally eat them for a week, 
I've never tried it myself, but the equivalent horror vegetable in my world was probably Brussels sprouts. Aria was dragged from garage sale to garage sale, listening to her mum haggling over the price. If someone wanted $1 for something, she'd offer 50 cents. She was always trying to cut her costs and make her money go as far as she could stretch it. Aria remembers hearing a story that when her parents first got married, they signed up to a loan with what she called a loan shark, and it was a terrible experience for them. And as a result, neither of her parents, whether together or apart, ever borrowed money again, which was a great thing to hear. Things were different back then. This would have been back in the 1970s, and there was nowhere near the easy access to credit that we unfortunately have these days. Credit which gets a lot of people into a lot of financial trouble. Her dad, on the other hand, was a different story, completely different with money. And she remembers that when she was with him, she would often watch her dad regularly sit down to do his budget. And the thought going through Aria's head was, why are you not crying? Because that's what she associated with people doing when they were looking at their bills. She said that her dad always had $500 set aside for emergencies and there was no stress or drama about money with her dad. And he also used to voluntarily show her through his own budget. She got the feeling that things were always tight, but he always did his best to make it work. Now, I only spoke with Aria for this interview, but she told me that Dave, on the other hand, came from a home where his mother never, ever used to talk about money. And Aria said that in the 20 plus years that she and Dave have been together, she has only once ever heard her mother-in-law mention money, just once. Dave's father, on the other hand, has spent many years building up a property portfolio of his own using his school teacher salary. Aria and Dave met when they were 19 and 20. They both drove cars that were older than themselves and had to be nursed through each warrant of fitness. Straight out of school, she remained living at home, but got a job in a rest home which formed the beginning to her future career in nursing. She paid board at home and started to save. In that first year, she actually managed to save up $10,000 a sizable amount for someone so young. They pulled their money together very early on as they were both, she said, operating with such microfinance given their low incomes. They had such a small amount of money each, hers earned in the rest home and him at the start of his building career, that they figured they could make their incomes go further when it was combined. And even at that young age, they have both always been the kind of people who want to live within their means. And part of that, she said, came from something she learned from a book that was given to her as she finished school. It was a book offering advice and tips about life, and it had a blurb in it about compound interest. And put simply, compound interest is when you earn interest on your interest. So the amount invested compounds and grows at a faster rate than simple interest. So if you invest $100 and earn $10 in interest, that gets added to your $100, and you can now earn interest on your $110, and on and on you go. And of course, compound interest applies to debt as well as investing. The concept fascinated her and she cut it out and kept it for years, sticking it into a book that she used to keep track of her budget and spending. She also did a correspondence course on budgeting, just a tiny wee course, she said, but one of the modules was how to buy a house and all the things you need to think about. They moved in together and were paying $200 a week for a very basic townhouse at the time. She said the walls were as thin as cardboard. She began to play around with some numbers and figured out that they could buy a house and the payment would be less than the price of their rent. So she said to Dave, if I use my $10,000 to put a deposit on a home, would you buy a house with me? And the answer was a resounding yes. So in 1995, they bought their first house in Auckland for $95,000. 
They ended up with a $20,000 deposit because Aria put in $10,000 and each of Dave's parents stumped up with $5,000 each, a very gracious gift. They spent $5,000 on renovations in the time that they had it and they lived in it for seven years until 2002 when they sold it for $126,000. They sold this first home due to the area they were living in. It was literally, she said, around the corner from a large gang. It was a cute cottage, she said, but the area was pretty rough and hungry neighbourhood kids frequently knocked on their door asking for food, which must have been a pretty tough thing to see. They moved in 2002 to another home in Auckland that they bought for $156,000 and they went on to spend about $50,000 on renovations. This was a brick house in a nicer area, but the local school, she said, was built for 150 kids and there were about 850 jam-packed in there and she recalls that three kids broke their arm in just one week due to crashing into each other as they raced around the corner of a building. Just too many kids in a small space, and she didn't relish the thought of her two kids going there. The house was on a small section, and Dave was working huge hours while on a fixed salary, so there was little financial benefit for his long hours, and she became sick of it, and they sold it in 2004 for 312000 In 2004, they purchased their third home for $345,000, once again spending about $50,000 on renovations. And because Dave was a qualified builder by now, he did all the renovation work. They always steadily paid down their mortgage and Aria actually became mortgage-free by the age of just 30. They sold this home in 2012 for $595,000 and made the decision to leave Auckland and move to a smaller town in the Upper North Island, which is where they currently live. And by the time they made this move, they'd become debt-free, having steadily paid off their mortgage over the years and also used the capital gains they received from each sale to pay the debt off. So home by home, they had just gently climbed up the housing ladder, creating equity as they went, but more importantly, trading in one house for another when the need of their whānau changed. And to me, that's the point of housing, to provide an appropriate home for your stage of life. With this next move, they had a difference in opinion about what they should buy. Aria wanted to buy two townhouses mortgage-free, and they could live in one and rent the other. But Dave fought her tooth and nail, she said. So they ended up buying a single-family home for $467,000, which they paid cash for, and this is where they live today. And the home has a value today, nine years after they bought it, for somewhere between $950 and $1.3 million. She values it at around a million dollars, but who really knows until you sell it right, something they currently have no plans of doing. Still not done with housing, they were given some pretty vague advice, which gives a nod to why Kiwis are so into property, that once you are mortgage-free, you should immediately buy more property. Otherwise, you will, quote, piss your money away. So in 2013, they bought an empty section for $130,000, transported an old house onto it, and spent $170,000 fixing it up, with Dave once again doing all the work, and they sold that in 2014 for $370,000. But wait, there's more. In 2015, they bought a rental house on a large, subdividable 1,000 square metre section for $179,000 using a $40,000 deposit. Now, during our chat, she said of all this that a rental property purchase was really down to a lack of imagination and then being scared about going into investments, which I thought was an extremely honest thing to say. They then spent $65,000 subdividing it into two sections, but there was a massive delay in this happening 
because poor health intervened with Dave having a big health scare, which meant he was unable to go ahead with this work. In the end, after the huge outlay to subdivide, they sold their empty section off in 2020 for $134,000. They were never able to carry out their plan to build a home on the section and sell it, and that became the job for the new owner instead. But from the get-go, they knew they wanted to own the rental property house they retained outright as fast as they could. The bank said they could set their fortnightly payments at $300, so they paid $400 instead, using rent money and topping it up from their own income. When the section sold, they paid off a good chunk of their debt because the rental property just didn't feel like a good investment until it was mortgage-free, and they got to collect the rent themselves. They use a property manager who takes a 10% cut. Am I the only person who thinks this is a huge cut? They have excellent tenants, she said, a woman with three children who they get on really well with. And in the time they've owned the property, the property manager has asked them seven times if they want to increase the rent. And every time Aria says no, and they continue to rent it at $250 a week when similar places are apparently going for $400. Now this is extremely rare, but Aria and Dave are happy to have her renting their home And although the thought of selling has crossed their mind, so they could put that money into index funds instead, they would not feel comfortable or confident that a new owner would have such a social conscience towards their tenants. She said that she feels that volunteering your time or giving money is the reward for being good with money yourself, and she is enjoying this reward. As part of her nursing work, she went into some very poor communities in Auckland where she saw people not going to the doctor or not fueling up their car because they simply couldn't afford to. She saw that even with parents working full-time, it was simply not enough money to cover their high and increasing rent. So they've made the conscious choice, because they can afford to, to make the life of their own tenants better, so that their housing costs take up a smaller portion of their paycheck. And I have a huge amount of respect for them, and they have clearly decided that for them, the point of having a rental property is to provide a home for someone first, and some income for themselves second. They own the asset, the rental property, outright, and they have their own finances under control, meaning that they don't need to squeeze as much money out of this place or from these tenants as possible. I think a lot of landlords could take note here that just because you can increase rents does not mean you should. The home that Aria currently lives in is big enough to fit her family, plus extended family who regularly come to stay. She, however, wants to downsize significantly Dave does not want to, and she had to concede that for now, this house is actually perfect for this stage of life. So why the desire to downsize then? She thinks it's ridiculous to have a house worth a million dollars, even though they own it. She would far rather have a house worth $500,000 and have the rest of the money invested in share assets that actually return them an income. This exact thing is a regular topic of conversation in my whare as well, so I can relate for sure. So that's a rapid walk through the houses they've bought and sold in the last 26 years. They built up a bit of equity with each purchase and they rode the wave of an increasing housing market. They had some wins and losses and when I asked if they had any financial regrets, one of them was not buying a couple of properties in Auckland as they were exiting it, given what house prices have done. But such is life. Today they are both working part-time. Aria as a nurse and Dave is now in a teaching position in the building industry. Because of his lengthy health setback, from which he has now recovered, she had been on his case to go part-time for about the last six years, she said, and he has finally made the move. 
and it's a bold move to go part-time, and it was a work in progress to make it happen. Dave developed an illness that was progressive, and he had some surgery which didn't go to plan. He was unable to work for extended periods of time, and as he recovered, she didn't want him to go back to work, but he did. But it was very hard on him. She just said to him, I think you should resign and have some time off, and I think your health is more valuable than your income. And he fought it for another three months until one day he came home and he said, do you mind if I resign? And he took a year off to completely recover before recently returning to this new part-time job. So when I asked them what they earn for a living today, she said they're actually considered to be low-income earners now, something that surprised her when she tallied up their incomes, which is earning about $60,000 a year combined. For the record, 2020 Stats New Zealand figures say that the median salary is $53,000 before tax. Earlier in their working lives, the highest weekly income they ever received after tax was $1,500. They also have income from their rental property, which they own outright, meaning no debt at all in their lives, and they currently draw just $115 a week from it as income. They could draw more, but they are letting it build up for future renovations. So if she was only earning about $30,000 a year as a part-time nurse, how did they survive financially while he took time off work? Well, her money elevator pitch, or a sentence that would sum up her approach to money, is along these lines. You put your family first, you live within your means, and you always have an emergency fund. Back in 2015, when they were buying the rental house, they went to discuss it with their accountant. They were looking to put a $70,000 deposit down, and they had that sitting as cash in the bank, ready to go, but their accountant was horrified that they didn't have an emergency fund. Aria didn't even know what one was, and their accountant talked them into putting $20,000 aside and calling it emergency fund, meaning that they would be putting down a smaller deposit on the property. They developed a firm plan to pay this property off without needing this money. So this money was not used as an offset on their mortgage. It didn't have any strings attached to it. Pure and simple, it was money sitting, ready and waiting, in a bank account for if ever they needed it. And they were not happy about this, but the accountant said, to put it to one side and leave it be for six months. And if, after six months, it's doing your head in, having this money sitting there, then you can put it on the mortgage. But Aria said, as it turned out, it was actually, emotionally, a huge deal to have that cash cushion sitting there. And when Dave got sick, it was a huge deal that it was available because it gave them freedom to make a decision that was in the best interest of Dave and not based on money alone. She said, it's amazing the secure feeling a fully stocked emergency fund gives you. They were able to live on her wage and having that $20,000 cash buffer of an emergency fund, it gave them huge peace of mind. It was not like he had to leave work, but it was a good option and the right option at the time. So during the year he took off work, they used up all of their emergency fund to support their daily living expenses. And when he returned to work, they began to build it up again to $20,000. She did have this higher at one point, but it did begin to feel like a waste of money having that much set aside, so 20 grand feels just right for her. And personally speaking, I too am a huge fan of an emergency fund and the peace of mind it brings, having a supply of cash available in a time of crisis. Johnny and I have relied on our emergency fund many, many times over the years, and I would never be without one. So next, I asked what her three main financial habits are, the things that she just automatically does. The first is a habit and a mindset of always living within their income, whether that be high or low, they just adjust accordingly. 
She is strategic and she thinks ahead, which is a result of watching her own mum never think beyond the month she is in, and Aria automates everything as much as she can, which includes the share investments that she has recently started. Her and Dave also give themselves a weekly allowance of just $20 cash, just so that they have their own money. She said of Dave that he is a real coffee fiend, so his 20 bucks is generally blown by Thursday. It's a tiny amount really, but it seems to work for them, and that's the key. So what would Aria consider to be her biggest triumph to date? That would have to be her children and her marriage, she said. The rising housing market has been good to them, she said, but she would rather it hadn't been because it comes at a cost to her own kids when they want to buy a home one day. It's nice she said that they both have careers because growing up with a single mother, she always wanted that security and with nursing as a career, you always have to keep up with the education so it's always kept her involved and that has always given her a strong sense of independence too. And after having watched many families live pay to pay, she's proud to have modest incomes with solid careers. And just on her kids for a moment, her 14-year-old son who was sitting beside her as we spoke is actually her go-to person when she wants to talk about money and investing. He is super intrigued by the topic and has already developed an excellent attitude towards earning and investing, she said. In March, she helped him sign up to a Shazzy's Kids account under her name and he is starting to invest in there already. And if he can just stay away from picking stocks, he is going to be just fine. I shared with him what my own daughter is investing in and why and Aria said that's inspired him to keep learning and investing too. This 14-year-old already has a net worth of $10,000. He has $5,000 in a savings account with it earmarked for tertiary education. He has $2,000 in KiwiSaver, $1,500 in SuperLife, plus some money in the bank for spending and emergencies. Yes, you heard this right. A 14-year-old is being taught the importance of an emergency fund. And although Aria said he couldn't see the benefit of it until his cricket shoes needed replacing in a hurry and he had to stump up. Her 18-year-old son had narrowed down two career choices as he finished school, either becoming an accountant that would take about five years of study and learning or becoming a quantity surveyor which would take two years for which he could receive a $5,000 scholarship plus the $5,000 that his parents had saved up to put towards his education. He took the second option and with a good solid part-time job he is actually on track to get educated and qualified and come out debt-free so he can get on with life. That is a massive accomplishment to come out debt-free because I'm talking with more and more 20-somethings who were feeling the immense burden of student debt that they blindly took on. I asked Aria to offer advice to people listening to this, particularly to those in their teens and early 20s. She would really like both her boys to buy a house, just the most basic that they can find. She even likes the idea of a duplex where you can rent out a portion of it and live in the other. She does not think that it necessarily makes financial sense to do so, but it gives a level of security which is good. And as a young person, she was forced to move far too much, which she found very destabilizing. And she also tells her own kids that she doesn't mind what they do for a living, but they need to be earning a living wage or preferably more. They are not to stay stuck on the minimum wage, not if they want to get ahead. And she tells them to have investing as the first item in their budget, not the last. She has always told her boys to have an emergency fund, and one day, if they get a mortgage, they need to pay it off fast. Furthermore, she has told them to invest from an early age and to always contribute to their KiwiSavers, no matter what. So apart from clearly pointing her kids in the right direction, Aria has been an open book when it comes to discussing money, 
and she has already achieved great satisfaction from helping at least three people get completely out of debt and has helped four people buy their first house by giving them the knowledge to do so. And I love that people are coming to her to ask because if I see someone doing well or achieving something, then I readily ask them why and how they did it, not to judge, but in the hope that I can use their journey to help me on my own. Although Aria and Dave have sought out the help of a financial advisor a couple of times, they've never managed to find one that was not tied into selling products instead of good financial advice. So because of that, she sought her own and educated herself by using books like The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape, Your Money or Your Life by Vicky Robbins, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing by John C. Bogle, Your Mortgage and How to Pay It Off in Five Years, by someone who did it in three, by Anita Bell, The School of Life on YouTube, and The Ramsey Show podcast. And with this last one, she said that she kept getting pointed to Dave Ramsey. And the first four times she listened, she thought, this guy is a complete nutter. (laughs) But on the fifth time, she got it. There is so much about him she disagrees with, religion, politics, and guns, to mention a few. But so much of what he says makes sense. And she said that if she had have had that information at the age of 19, she would have been dangerous and fabulously wealthy. She said her kids took to mocking her when she listened to Dave Ramsey, so she has reached the saturation point of his advice, and she has since moved on. But I'll link up with these resources in the show notes so you can check them out. So next I asked her about any financial flop that she can remember. Well, that would be losing $100,000 in a business. There was an opportunity to get involved in a business in the building industry, but in hindsight, they were not the best business owners nor was the advice they received heading into it any good at all. They undercharged for the work they were doing due to their kind hearts. They didn't invoice people at all sometimes, which left them paying for materials out of pocket. And owning a business can give you an aura of success, but she knows of so many people who act successful. But when you drill down into the finances, the money is just not there. It gave her an insight into banks as well, when at one point they wanted a $50,000 overdraft to cover the time lag between buying materials and being able to invoice the client for them, but the bank who had always readily lent them hundreds of thousands of dollars for property just would not lend to them, not for a business. I suspect that the bank's view on this was that they could always take your house you were borrowing against as a payment, but they could not take a poorly performing business. And after a year, they just simply shut the doors, kissing their $100,000 goodbye and taking the lessons it taught them away. And I was interested to know what investments they have outside of housing. So, of course, I asked. Investing in the share market is a more recent experience for Aria. When both houses were mortgage-free, she was kind of asking, well, what do I do now? And she just started reading and learning from there. She had listened to Dave Ramsey. Then she found the happy saver. And she realized that she knew about houses, but she didn't know about shares. Well, except for the 1987 share market crash, that is. She liked the idea of Vanguard that she had heard about, but she didn't know how to invest from New Zealand, and it was hearing about it on this podcast that made them dip their toe in the water, just $50 to $100 a month into the New Zealand Top 50 Fund. She said it was not logical, just emotional, but they consistently did it for a couple of years, and now she's starting to ramp it up and consistently putting 10% of their monthly income into just two funds. She currently has money invested using smart shares into the New Zealand Top 50 ETF, which has a current five-year return after tax and fund charges of almost 16%, and also the Vanguard Total World ETF, which has a current five-year return after tax and fund charges of almost 11%. 
She has recently set up automatic payments for these investments, and that's the key. Automate it so that you can set and forget. She has been educating herself a lot on index or ETF investing of late, and she said that even though she is impatient, she can see that the simple yet extremely effective investment strategy is the way to go, and it will complement her housing investments and her KiwiSaver really well, I think. She is in KiwiSaver in a balanced ASB fund. She said that she imposed a ban on herself to prevent her from changing it because she said that she had been screwing around with it far too much. Dave is in an ASB fund. It might even be a default fund, she said. And after a quick chat about the perils of being in a default fund, I was pleased to get an email a few days later saying that Dave had been online and was checking his KiwiSaver. Apparently, he has a problem with this money being locked in until 65, something I often hear men in particular mention, to which I would say, just get over it. Your 65-year-old self will be grateful that you were unable to touch it. They have a combined KiwiSaver balance of $70,000 and they both contribute 3% from their incomes. And just a note here, given that they are low-income earners, it might pay to check that by the 30th of June each year, they have each contributed 1042 so that they can get the free government money of 521 With low incomes, it can sometimes be a wee bit touch and go getting to that right amount. And I always like to ask people what they would do if they were given 10 grand right now. For Aria, she would put half into her KiwiSaver and the other half would go towards a trip that they have planned in 2022 because one of the things that they do love to do is travel. Aria has been loosely tracking their net worth starting from zero in 1993. In about 2019, they ticked over a million, so 26 years to reach that point. Things have sped up a lot since, mostly driven by the property market, and she now in 2021 estimates their net worth at $1.6 million. There are very few get-rich-quick schemes in life, and Ari's road to becoming a millionaire and financially content has taken its own sweet time. So if you were looking for an overnight success, you won't find it here, and in fact, it's been my observation that you will really find it. Slow and steady, good decision-making and good investment choices combined with a large dose of luck is what actually gets you there. Now, I didn't go into the nitty-gritty of her numbers, but the gist was that she is frugal. She uses a credit card but pays it off weekly, which is a pretty common habit I've noticed for those who have their money under control. I asked what people with a net worth of $1.6 million drive, and she told me that they had actually just upgraded their only car very recently, actually from a 2004 vehicle to a, wait for it, 2010 model. She also uses a company car when working. Dinners out are reserved for special occasions and she tends to spend about $300 a week at the supermarket that keeps two teenage boys, Aria, Dave and one or two extras well fed. And that also includes the odd takeaway, feeding the dog and buying a few beers and wines. And because they are debt free, she knows that if they tighten their belt, they can live on $500 a week at a stretch if they need to. It is more comfortable living on more, but it's good to know your lower limits as it helps you plan and budget. Nor do they carry much insurance. Dave, due to his ill health, is uninsurable now and can't get health insurance. But thankfully, we have a decent health system in New Zealand to take care of most things. They don't have life insurance because being debt-free and with money invested, they don't really have much need for it now. They do have house, contents and car insurance. Their rental home is insured with something she called real rental insurance at a cost of $33 a month. And it means that if the property is vacant for more than two weeks, or someone decides to turn it into a meth lab, they get paid rent and are fully insured. 
Righto, before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor. Thanks again to Pocketsmith for sponsoring The Happy Saver and helping me keep my own personal finances on track. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, have we got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Aria and Dave are very much on the same page when it comes to money, but generally she is left to manage things, always keeping them in the loop with what's going on. She said they feel a huge amount of gratitude and contentment for what they have. They have made the bulk of their net worth via the increase in the price of property they own, and that has served them pretty well, but she recognises that it's bittersweet because their gain is her children's loss. But to offset that, she is educating her boys, plus friends and family who are interested in making some solid financial moves, and to be fair, she is still working these out herself. The implementation of an emergency fund at the urging of her accountant came just in time for when Dave got sick, so she now advises others to do the same. She is now embarking down the path of getting more diversified, and I'm sure that will also continue to be something that she inspires others to do. And I think that those two things right there are the point of this podcast. Get yourself in good shape and then turn around and help those around you do the same, because it makes for a better society when not just some of us but all of us are doing well. We can't listen to the news in New Zealand without hearing about property prices and the cost of renting. And my final thought is to commend Aria and Dave for getting their own financial house in order so in turn they can be generous and provide a home for another family, provide financial support to their own kids. And the best thing of all is that with only having to work part-time, they get to spend a lot of quality time together as a family, something that you just can't put a price on. So a big thanks to Aria for sharing her and Dave's journey with me. And please do keep me updated with how your 14-year-old progresses. I'm intrigued. I'm sure he's going to do so well. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next week with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review and share this with your friends because these are the best ways that people can learn about the podcast And I would most love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whānau and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.